0: Hello and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and His purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from lead pastor, Jamie Miller. Open your Bibles if you would. Where's the first place we're going to be? Deuteronomy 6, if you want to get your... Uh, get ready. I want to thank, first of all, I I don't see him today, but I want to thank Graydon Jones for preaching last week. Did a great job. And, uh, you know, just uh, again, because of the nature of these messages, they, they actually take more work than less. Uh, to cover bigger chunks and to figure out what parts go in and w- whatnot. And so just really thankful, Graden if you're watching right now. Thank you, man. And appreciate you. I love learning from Graydon. Uh, I also want to just hit, to we had some great words and prayer back here before the worship time tonight, and if you love to worship, and that's a big part of how, how and why we got started as a church, was that we wanted to have the freedom to worship God like we saw in the Scripture, and so I uh, want to invite you on Friday night, we'll be here worshiping the Lord, One Table Worship. All right, so we're in this series right now called The Story We Find Ourselves In. And it's the, 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 the point of this is to try to get ourselves connected to the story of God. So the series in one sentence, a good way of saying it would be that the story we find ourselves in is about learning to read the Bible through the lens of Jesus and how we as, I, I don't know if that sentence is coming up, but how we as individuals and as a people fit into the story of God. So there you go. So, and the, the, the way I framed this a few weeks ago, and if you've been around a while, you've seen this arc before, the arc that goes from creation to new creation. And we want to be a people that under, understand ourselves in the light of this story, that we are constantly adjusting our lives to this story. We're not just living our own story, whatever the cultural narrative is, and and a little bit of Jesus along the way. No, we're actually ordering our life. We know that we're a part of this story and that that we've hopped on a moving train, as it were, and it's been going for a long time, okay? So we're a part, we're the storied people of God. And right now we're in this fifth act of the play, if you wanna go ahead and hit that, and we're living in the light of the story that's gone before in reference and under the leadership uh, of of the Holy Spirit, so that's what's going on. And we're asking ourselves, how do we orient ourselves to this story? How do we read the Bible and understand the Bible according to the big story, the big story of God? And it will really help you read the Bible. It really helps you understand the Bible if you know what the, what's, what's going on, rather than just, I'm just picking some little tidbit out of here and maybe it's gonna help me for today. So a, there really is a story, a unified story that's been going on for many years. Many years. And so we're learning. Can we just say that together? We're learning. We're learning. I mean, imagine reading the Bible as if and thinking you already knew everything that there was to know about it. Or that you're already right about everything that can be right and wrong about. Or, on the other hand, because none of you guys do that, on the other hand, reading the Bible with humility and with, with, with charity. And coming with a learner's heart and a learner's perspective. God, lead, lead, lead me. Jesus, you're the head of the church. Show us the way we should go here. Holy Spirit, help us through this. Help us to understand. And we want to keep framing this series um, because we're not saying everything that can be said in this one series. I've had you know, different people ask me, well, why don't you just go on forever? Well, I mean, I, I guess we could. And we kind of are. But you generally do a series and it comes to an end. We're doing this one 12 weeks. And so you could do it, you could just keep going until, you know, the cows come home, I guess. Um, <laughs> got the cheap seats down here, yelling Farmer Jamie. Um, yeah, I know about the cows, those gates, new gates and stuff. Just kidding. So again, uh, I remember years ago listening to N.T. Wright and I didn't understand why he would say, I'm not saying everything, I think about everything on this one message. But it's actually helpful sometimes to say that we're not saying everything that can be said or all ideas that can be considered, but we're pointing to the story in a way that will help us to understand and study the scriptures. That's what we want to do. So, and it's for the purpose of discipleship into the image of Christ in the power of the Spirit in community together. Right. That's what we're doing. That's why we're trying to do this. Had a great conversation in our sermon planning time this past week and Micah brought up, he said, it's kind of like we're teaching people how to, you know, we're just, we, we want everybody to be able to drive the car you know, to know where the steering wheel is, how to put it in gear, the brake and the accelerator. And you don't have to know how the pistons fire and how the carburetor system works and how the electronic system works. You don't have to understand all of that in order to really hop in the car and go on a great adventure out learning about God and about God has for you and your family and us as a people. And we don't have to understand all the you know, the possible interpretations of atonement theory in order to really be saved and free and set free and forgiven. Hallelujah! All right. All right. <laughs> Not that that might be a specific example or anything. All you theologians out there. So, um, so does that make sense as an illustration? That, I think that's the one illustration I've got today. Uh, uh, unless Star Wars comes up again. <laughs> So so in framing this, then we've said, hey, you need to start with Jesus. Jesus is the lens through which we understand, because he is the revelation of the invisible God. He is, he is God's final revelation to us, and he is the revelation to which these scriptures point, right? So... We can't unknow that Jesus is raised from the dead and declared with power to be the Lord and King of the world. You can't unknow that when you read the Old Testament scriptures. So there's a sense in which we're reading retrospectively, kind of going back and looking at everything through the lens of Jesus, but then also putting ourselves in the place of those people and going, wow, what a long, long journey it was. What a time of waiting and hope. And we're hitting on some of that. Um, today. And so through the lens of Jesus and the triune God creates, and then we did the fall, and then we did the message on Abraham and the promise, blessed to be a blessing to the nations. And last week we talked about Yahweh and his na- revealing his name and liberating his people and calling them out to be a people together in covenant with him. And so today then we are looking at this next piece, And it's the story of Israel, and um, I know that's bold and ambitious. I almost called it the womb of the incarnation, out of just reading uh, T.F. Torrance a lot. That's what he called the story of Israel: is the womb of the incarnation. And it's like the, the Messiah. All of God's plans were being grown and and birthed and coming to maturity, so that Jesus could come in the flesh, so that God could come in the flesh. And so there's that that piece there. But the interesting thing about Israel is that the, that the closer God gets to Israel, the closer he gets in covenant to them, the more they are exposed as being human. The closer he gets, the more they mess up. And they do, even though we think, oh, we'd do it better, we'd be in the same boat. We're all in the same condition together. The closer he gets, the more it exposes their fallenness. And the really, really good news is that God does come and save. It's really good news, y'all. And so the main thing I'm going to be saying this morning here is that the story of Israel is God working through a people to bring the Messiah, to make things right, and to save the world. So that's where we're going. And this narrative is building toward Jesus. So If you think about that arc that we just looked at, that arc, there's a plot, there's drama. It's like, whoa, what's going to happen? God's being so patient. When's the judgment coming? And God eventually sends His Son. But even within that story, and this is there's stories of stories and subplots and lots of little stories that do the same thing over and over again. And we're, we're not able to cover all that, but that's in there. So read your Bible. You know, you can't, you can't say everything on a Sunday that needs to be said. Read the scriptures and you'll see wild stuff in there. You know, I was reading Joshua this past week and it's like, I just, you know, fresh eyes, right? You're reading through the story with fresh eyes and the people, Moses dies and the people come to Joshua and they say, Joshua, you're the leader now. Lead us and just the way we fully obeyed Moses. And I was like, Uh, just the way we fully obeyed Moses, we're gonna obey you. And we're gonna do what you say. If anybody doesn't do what you say, we're gonna kill them. I was like, is that the will of the Lord? There's like several lies mixed in there and maybe not the heart of God. So it's like you get fresh eyes to see and especially when we look through the lens of Jesus. There's broken people all along the way. And the cool thing is, it's not just a doctored up porcelain version story and everybody that just had it always all together, right? It's all these people. And so let's, let's, uh, let's talk about some broken people, right? So the first thing, and I'm, just, I'm calling these markers, but think about them like a, a hook. They're, they're kind of almost chapter headings. And I've got a number of these chapter headings. That's just, I was trying to think, how do I get into this? How do I cover this big section of scripture? And that I just—I finally had a breakthrough when I started thinking about the Shema. So I can't remember if Graydon covered it last week or not. But open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through six. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. (laughs) The Lord is one. Ah. Day and night, the Israelites still pray these words. The Shema. Listen, hear. Are you really listening? Really listening. Listen to the Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give to you to be on your hearts, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your homes and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, so listen, listen, the first hook is just listen and love. Listen to the Lord. And so in the Hebrew mind, listening, like really hearing, the flip side of that coin is obeying. So listen means also, it carries with it. It's implied, do what he says. Listen to the Lord. And what he's saying here is love him with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And I I think why I just landed here for a starting place is all the stuff we're about to read that went wrong, would have. I think they would have made it if they just have done this, listen to the Lord, do what he says, love him, and love what by virtue of that command, it's the second great command, love what he loves. Love people, love people. So, and then the the this the, the reinforcing command is given over and over and over in so many different ways, remember the Lord, do not forget, remember the Lord, love him, keep his commandments honor his ways do what he says stop going your own way stop chasing after idols over and over again that's the 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 deal somebody had asked me if i was going to have another movie reference and i did think this morning as i was thinking about this of kind of like the lord of the rings you know it's like if they could have just done this but alas there was darkness in the heart of men right and so that's the story of, our, of our, it's our family story. And don't think about this as somebody else's story because the New Testament is very clear. This is our story. We've been grafted in. We've been grafted in through faith. Romans, Galatians, Ephesians. It's the mystery of the gospel is that Jew and Gentile are together in the Messiah. So remember that as we go through this together. The next hook there then is land and enemies, land and enemies. I thought it was so cool that Aaron led that song, Egypt, you know, because it's, it's uh, the, the land and enemy story. It's not just that God led the people out of Egypt and for everybody that's been led out of stuff, praise the Lord, but out of isn't the end of the story, right? So it's not just that we got out of bondage, out of slavery, out of darkness, out of the stuff that was killing us. And usually there's a pattern here. I read a book years ago by Major Ian Thomas called The Saving Life of Christ. It's probably only older people would know it. But basically he's not just saying, you know, it's not just that Jesus' death saves us, but if his death saved us, if we're justified through his blood, how much more are we saved through his life? And the point he was saying was that there's a paradigm of going from Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land. And we do it over and over again in our lives. And that's why it's really relevant for us as God's people together. We're coming out of stuff. But we're not just coming out of stuff. We're coming out of and through trials and things. We wander around, wonder if this is it. And into our inheritance in the promised land. And that happen, that's a process that happens over and over again. I mean, uh, yeah, so, so here's the deal. Uh, so it makes it sound like I'm just summing everything up that can be said. I'm not doing that, I already said that. But, but when the Israelites are going into the land and they're supposed to drive out those different uh, Ammonites and Canaanites and all this stuff, part of the reason they were supposed to drive people out, one, to take possession of the land but because those people were doing detestable, dark, vile stuff that you don't even want to say out loud. I mean, it's bad. And so when somebody said, hey, you want to go worship with me? It was bad. And so they didn't drive those people out. And everything that those people were doing, that the powers were behind, the thrones, the principalities, the rulers, all behind that stuff, all that demonic stuff, all that high worship stuff that was happening there, and it was violent, and it was sexual, and it was sinful and evil and dark. And they didn't drive them out. And so those very things that they were doing ended up being the snare, the hook, the idolatry that wrecked Israel. So all of that's going on with land, the land there and with the enemies. And, you know, so I, I think just to bring that kind of up into the now. We all have stuff that we've been brought out of, wonderings that we've done, but there's things in our lives that need to be driven out. There's there's powers that are at work in our lives and we've got to be awake and aware and alive to what those things are and not get sucked, lured, seduced into idolatry. Yeah. So, so that all of that's going on there. And part of it too is we've got an inheritance. Everybody's got an inheritance. We've got all these crazy stories and the Lord's wanting to bring us into something. That's, right. that's how we got to Fort Worth, you guys. We sat there, 2001, and uh, we were listening to Jackie Pullinger and, uh, at World Mandate, and she was talking about your land of inheritance. And we came out of that and we were like, you know, is Grapevine our land of inheritance? We, The church had been going nine years up there and we were like, we felt like no and that the Lord led us to Fort Worth, that this was gonna be the place where we were supposed to land. And the Lord spoke through all of that, through Jackie, but through all of that stuff to lead us into a place that required leaving something, hard things along the journey, keep trusting the Lord and we're still in process of, landing. We haven't arrived, I mean, but we're here, we're, but we're in process. That makes sense? Yeah. So that's a great way of just of thinking about it. Then we get to judges. And just, just a quick word there about judges is, uh, man, it was, it was a dark time. Judges were a dark time. And when you see that phrase, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, think chaos, think mess, think darkness, you know, if you ever look around at the world and you go, man, this just looks like chaos. That's what's going on. It's people not under the Lord. Everyone's just doing, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and just doing what we think ought to be done. And, and it's a mess. So there's a, there's a hook there for land and enemies. The next one, next hook is kings kings and idolatry. Okay, kings and idolatry. Everybody's shouting me down. This would be kind of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. And so Samuel then is the last of the judges. And Israel comes to Samuel and says, look, your, your kids aren't following the Lord. We want to have a king and we want to be just like everybody else. And so I'm going to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. And we're actually going to read a bit here. 1 Samuel 8. Verse four, so all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, you're old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king as they've done from the day that i brought them out of egypt until this day forsaking me and serving other gods so they are doing to you now listen to them but warn them solemnly and let them know that what the king will what the king will do who will reign over them and what he will claim as his rights and so samuel told all the words of the lord to the people who were asking him for a king and he said this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to commanders of thousands, commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others, weapons of war, to make weapons of war and equip for his chariots." And he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. And he will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his off officials and attendants, your male and female servants, and the best of your cattle and donkey he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. What that, when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord and the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. So that's kind of a, another dark chapter. You know, in the story of Israel, but why it's so important too is that this king theme of God being rejected as king, it takes on tremendous significance later when Jesus comes on the scene and says, the kingdom's here. Now, you wouldn't know what all that meant if you hadn't read the story to know that they had rejected God as king and now God is showing up as king. So let's read about that next piece. So what happened here, just storyline-wise, is Saul is selected, but then he's rejected by the Lord and he selects David who is a man after God's own heart right that's what the scripture says he's a man after God's own heart so let's read the promise that God makes to David which is so important for the the storyline David wants to build a temple for the Lord and at first Nathan says yes the prophet says yes but then he has the Lord speaks to him and says no I don't, I don't need a house, and you're to go tell David this. Have I ever asked you to build a house for me? And he says, you know, it's like, no, I've tabernacled, I've gone with you, I've moved. I'm not asking you to do that, but it becomes important for what God ultimately does with us to make us to be a temple for his presence, individually and corporately. And so he makes him this promise in verse chapter 2 Samuel 7, the second part of verse 11. The Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. And when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. And he is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish his throne, the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son when he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands, but my love will never be taken from him. So what's going on there is that God's making this promise. It's the Davidic covenant. And, and uh, uh, it, it's huge for when, uh, and, and we'll touch on it even in just a second in Isaiah, but, um, but it's a huge promise. You're going to have a son who's going to be on a throne and he's going to reign forever. And you think at one level, it might be Solomon. That's his son who builds the house, but it's not Solomon. And Solomon, you know, it gets like, he gets a lot of positive press, you know, ask for wisdom early on, you know, but man, you guys be very clear. He messed up. He did not finish well. Like, it would be dark in one of the darkest ways imaginable to have a video camera following Solomon around toward the end of his life. He's building evil, evil, evil temples because he, uh, he, and he did all the things that, the, that Deuteronomy predicted that a king would do in Deuteronomy 17 and the things that Samuel predicted the king would do. Solomon did it all and more. He did it all. 700 wives, 300 concubines, horses from Egypt don't get horses from Egypt he goes and gets horses from Egypt just all that stuff building the army building the tax base building stuff that it required enslaving people in order to do this stuff and you've got radical radical wealth isolated and centered in one person it's a it's a cra- and he does not finish well building temples to shimash to to Ashtoreth. And, and I mean, these are vile, vile uh, gods. Uh, Molech, where they'd sacrificed children to Molech. This is dark stuff, and Solomon did it. And so the story of the kings, it's, if you read 1, 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, basically all the kings, they fall into one of two categories. And that's what the story is. The story is built around not just the history of Israel, but around these kings, and did they do good or did they do evil? And overwhelmingly, you know, they, they, do, they do wrong. Israel, the, those kings, almost, I, I think, almost all of them, there's like 33 total, maybe five are good or sort of good. So it's a, it's a dark story. And in 750 or so, the Assyrians come in and take uh, Israel in captivity, so it's, it's a, uh, trying to make it happier. It's just a sad story, right? Um, so, and I, I just couldn't help but read, I'm reading Kings and stuff this week, and I could not help but be confronted by what's going on in the world right now. And I was just, I was thinking about Putin and just going, he's acting like everything that I'm reading about here as a king, And no sooner had I had that thought, it was in the afternoon, and I came home with with Kim, and we turned on the news, just looking for some edification, encouragement, and uh, (laughs) turn on the news, and a lady gets on there, and she literally says, he is not acting like like an elected official. He's acting like a czar or a king. That's kind of how he sees himself, as a czar, or as a king. And then they get cut away to this 190,000 square foot palace that he's built on a peninsula out by the Black Sea. And it was just, it was utterly just mind-blowing. And he's got the same eagle thing that czar Nicholas Romanov had, you know, on, on his gate. He's got on his gate, you know, yeah, the two-head deal. So, you know, I was just like, wow, that's crazy. Because I'd just been having that thought, like, wow, this is like reading the Bible. So, uh, crazy. So, kings and idolatry. Prophets and promises. Next hook. Everybody doing okay? Okay. Prophets and promises. Um, so here... The, the prophets come in Isaiah and following 750 all the way up through after the exile the, they start returning um, you know so you're you're running up into the early 500s uh, uh, whatever that is sixth century B.C. 400s long in there and so that's the time frame that we're talking about and the prophets point people back to the promises they point people back remember the covenants. Remember that God made the covenant with Abraham, our father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Go back, be faithful to God. Stop the idolatry. That's what the prophets are saying. And they're bringing warnings and judgment's coming if you don't change. And I wanna just say, if you really read this and realize how long, how much time has passed since God brought them into the land and the, the judges' period, and all this stuff, and you think judgment's coming anytime, judgment's coming, and it's like 700 years, and then Assyria finally takes Israel away. 700 years! And then another 250 or 200 years, 250 years before, before Judah is taken away in captivity to Babylon. I mean, that's like a, a lot of patience, a thousand years. It just hit me, it's just like God is actually very patient. You know, even though judgment was coming, he's very patient. And so the prophets are there. um, And by the way, just check this out. Jesus quotes David. He's a king that gets quoted. But mainly he's not quoting the kings. He's quoting the prophets. He's quoting the Torah. He's quoting the Pentateuch. Uh, He's quoting the Psalms. But then he's quoting the prophets. And the interesting thing about the prophets is the prophets were mostly all rejected, In their day, (laughs) they were rejected, they were shunned, they were outcasts, and then all of their writings are what we're reading about in the Old Testament. Isn't that interesting? You know, so that's what's happening there. Let's just kind of track through one here. Isaiah is famously called in Isaiah chapter 6, y'all remember this story? And uh, he has, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord on a throne, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. So he's like undone. The Lord cleanses him. And the Lord says, whom shall I send in verse eight? And who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here here am I, send me. And then the Lord says, go tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And you know, Jesus quotes this. It's, It's in our hardness of heart. We want to be people that are tender to the Lord, not getting stiff-necked and and turning away from the Lord and choosing idols over the Lord, but listening to him. Are you listening? Really listening? Shema, Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. So roll the clock forward a little bit. So he gets that call. And then Isaiah chapter seven, there's a promise about a virgin giving birth to one. We'll call him God with us. Emmanuel. Over to another thing that Isaiah prophesies at the end of six is that there's nothing but going to be left of Israel but stumps. It's just a sea of stumps, just stumps everywhere. Everything's cut down, stumps. But then in Isaiah 11, he promises, God promises a short, uh, excuse me, a short, a shoot. Sorry. Shoot is kind of a short. Branch. (laughs) Help me, Lord. A shoot will come up from Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. Well, that's a promise, a prophecy about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, right? And then uh, Isaiah 9, he prophesies about this kingdom. He picks up that Davidic promise made to David and says of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. These are powerful, powerful words. Roll the clock forward to Isaiah 42. And there is a promise of the servant of the Lord. Here's my servant, the one I've chosen, in whom I delight, I put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. Okay, so that is talking about the Lord. And then in Isaiah 49, again, this was... It's like this was kind of the plan for Israel, but it all gets focused. Israel can't do it. God's getting closer. They can't do it. And it all gets focused down into this one person who represents Israel and all of us, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So Isaiah 49 then, again, about the servant. In verse six, is it too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob, to bring forth back those of Israel I have kept? I will make you a light for the nations, a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Isn't that good news? Right? So we're looking forward. Isaiah 53 is the famous uh, passage there about the crucifixion and and the servant who suffers. He took up our pain. He bore our suffering. We considered him. Punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Read that chapter. And then the good news, again, Isaiah chapter 60, arise, a shine, your lights come, the glory of Zion is coming. You know, and then the very next chapter is Jesus' mission statement that he reads in the synagogue in Luke chapter four, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to preach, to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Instead of mourning, joy. Instead of despair, praise. Instead of ashes, beauty. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. Isn't that good? So it's just, we're telling the story here. If you keep rolling the clock forward, Micah comes on the scene and he says over and over again, the call is return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. Remember the Lord. You couldn't come up with, if even if you gave me thousands of rams as sacrifices, that's not what I'm looking, like, looking for, declares the Lord. I, Micah chapter six, he says, what he's actually looking for is for us to act justly to love mercy, this is Micah 6.6, 6, and to walk humbly with God. He said instead through the prophet Hosea, you've been to me like an unfaithful wife. You've been, and so he tells Hosea to marry Gomer, who's basically a prostitute, and then she keeps leaving him over and over again, but he's supposed to welcome her back. And he says to Israel, this is what it's like being married to you. You are unfaithful to me, but I keep receiving you back again and again. And through all of this, you guys, God is patient. He's, he's bearing with Israel, but judgment is coming. And you see it in the temple. It's one of the places where it all gets focused. The temple and tragedy would be that next hook there that I want to mention. Ezekiel has a vision where he literally sees the priests of God worshiping idols burning incense inside the walls of the temple it's bad it's gone from bad to worse and so ezekiel then in ezekiel 10 he has a vision and he sees the glory of the lord lift from the temple and gone the lord has left and it's in that same time frame then that the babylonians come and they take Israel into captivity, into exile. The temples destroyed, Jerusalem's r- ransacked, and it is again, it's a dark, it's a dark time. They're in exile. So uh, they, the, the, the 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 Israelites start to come back with Ezra. I thought that was cool uh, today. We had a little Ezra reference. Uh, scout, scout. Am I saying that right? Scout Ezra. Yeah, got it. Landon and, Landon's given baseball names to his sons. You know, they, they, he's a big baseball player in college. But uh, uh, so, so Ezra and Nehemiah start bringing people back. But this is the final hook I want to give you is exile and hope. Because even though, even though the Israelites start coming back, led by Ezra, Nehemiah, you start seeing them come back. But it's not like God's with them. They're, they're back they're, but st- it's still like they're still in exile. Does that make sense? They're longing for God to fully uh, come. and So there's the longing. The prophets were longing. They were saying a day of the Lord is coming. A day of the Lord, and it's gonna be righteousness and justice. The way Amos says it, justice will roll like a river and righteousness like a never-ending stream, like a never-failing stream. Yeah. Joel 2.28 is quoted in Peter in the sermon at Pentecost, and he says, your sons and daughters. On that day, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will see dreams, right? So, so there's that longing for this day. Daniel touches on it. One of the last prophets, Daniel touches on it in Daniel chapter seven. I can find it. Daniel 7, verse 13. In my vision, at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence, and he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So now we're getting close to the end of the Old Testament. Flip to Malachi chapter three. And this is just kind of setting the final scene before a silent period of several hundred years. But this is Malachi in around 400 or so. He says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. So, there, right there at the end of the Old Testament, is a prophecy saying, God's coming. And this is the way it's going to happen. I'm going to send my messenger, who Jesus identifies as John the Baptist, and then God's going to come. God's literally going to come to the temple, but is it going to be the way they thought it was going to be? The glory of God literally comes to the temple. But he brings judgment with him, doesn't he? And he says, this isn't going to remain standing, but I'm going to rebuild it in three days, and it's going to be a kingdom in and through my people that is going to last forever and ever. So, what? okay, so... What do we do with that? What do we do with the story? And and a couple things. So again, I mentioned it a minute ago, but just to get a sense of that, we just basically did a flyover of 1,400 years, right? And the point isn't that I cover everything, but I want want us to know the story so that we can read it and participate in it. And that's the first thing I wanna say here is that this is now our story. It's our story. We've been grafted in to this story. Paul goes to great lengths in Romans to help us see this. This is our story. In Galatians, he wants us to see that it's everyone who has the faith of Abraham, who trusts God, has been included into this story. So that's a, that's a big deal, um, that we're together. The nations are together. One multi-ethnic family around the world together in Christ. This is now our story. Galatians, Ephesians, again, we touched on it there. There he says it, it is the mystery of the gospel. It's the good news that, that Jew and Gentile are together in Christ. And just please be blown away when you think about that because it's just so awesome, right? And so we this is our story, and we learn from this story. So Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, and I encourage you to read it, but he says, he says, These things are written down. The stuff we've just gone through is so that you'll learn, so that you'll learn from what's happened before. It's like the Israelites out there in the desert, Christ was the rock that was following them around, bringing water to them. I mean, I've read that and I'm like, huh? You know, like, wow. NIV doesn't say the rock followed them around, but the other versions say the rock literally followed them around, providing water for them in the desert. And that rock, that spiritual rock, was Christ. You know, so he's saying, I'm writing these things down so that you'll learn and not do the same things they did. You know, don't do the same things they did, but learn from them. And you're gonna go through temptation and trial, but God's gonna be the one who provides a way out. He promises that. That first section there, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 13. So really big deal. Don't do idolatry. Don't give your heart to something else in allegiance above Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. That is the greatest proclamation I can say or that binds us together with our brothers and sisters around the world is that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He's Lord of heaven and he's Lord of earth. And all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. He is the Lord. And so we we avoid the temptations. We avoid the idolatries. God makes a way out. And we learn from this story, all the different hooks. I mean, if we could just do the listen and love piece, right? Listen, really listen to the Lord. This week, Shema. Really listen and, and love the Lord and, and love people. And, and when you're coming into the land, whatever that looks like in our different scenarios and situations, watch out for the enemies, and don't let them stay there. But you've got a promised land. You've got a, there's a place for us as a people. We keep walking into it. I mean, part of being here is because God made some promises over 20 years ago to us. And here we are, you know, still walking forward into these promises, right? So, so that's huge. The land and enemies. Stay away from idolatry. Don't be king-like in our thinking at all. You know, it's, it, it always centers and focuses on us and our pleasures and desires and wants. Stay away from idolatry. I guess that's the lesson there. Listen to the, to the warnings, to the promises. Go back to the promises. Go back to the covenants. Listen, lean into God. Lean into his love. And, you know, even when we feel like we're out, There's always a reason for hope. And that's how I'm gonna finish. There's always a reason for hope. Somebody prayed it over me in the prayer room over there. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you'll overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no situation that's too dark or too messed up or too you can't see a way out of that God isn't gonna bring hope into the midst of your exile feeling because Jesus Christ really has made a way for humanity to come out of bondage through the wilderness and into the promised land that is his life. It's ultimately him, and he is our Lord, and he is our life, and so we put our faith in Jesus. It's the the story, it's just so consistent. God still wants us to be image bearers. He still wants us to be discipled into the image of Christ in the power of the Spirit, in the context of community, And that's how he always, that's what he wants. That's what he wants for us. So stand up. Worship team, come on up. I know that's a lot, but uh, I want to just call us now because I know that the Lord is speaking different things to different people as we've thought about our own situation, the different ways we've struggled with giving allegiance to other things. And we've, we've said it in different ways in our worship. It's interesting, the, the worship today, you know, is out of Egypt and into the promised land and that we offer ourselves. I, ultimately, if, if you haven't picked up on this, I'm gonna let you in on like most of the sermons, they end with a call to offer ourselves. Because that's the, it's the most important thing we can do is to offer ourselves to the Lord again and say, Lord, here I am. Have your way help me to follow you give me grace give me grace for that that person that is hard to deal with in my life that situation that i just don't know if i can get past that like there's hope there's hope in the lord that that thing that's not working out the way i thought it was going to work out. like whatever those things are let's come let's pray part of the blessing and i'm thankful for the technology but part of the blessing of being actually together on Sundays is that we can pray for each other. Just lay a hand on a shoulder and just, Lord, help them, give grace. And so let's respond to the Lord. And, and if you need somebody to pray for you and you're not coming down to the front, just ask somebody you came with. Just, hey, would you pray for me in this area of life? But whatever your need is, let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Let hope rise in this place as we consider the story of those who have gone before. And let's put our eyes and focus on Jesus this morning. Come to him. Turn to him. Realign with him today, all right? You guys come. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord.